Good morning, Fremont Community Church. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. It is great to have you. Hopefully you can interact with these questions that we just had up on the uh, screen here with people around you, uh, wherever you are watching. And uh, I am excited to be here because it's my first time with you all in the new year. We've been traveling and spending time with family, so it's great to be back. It was, you know, sunny and 75 in Florida. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, sorry you had to deal with the rain while we were dealing with the sunshine. Let me pray uh, before we get into uh, this new series called Discipleship Pathway. God, we are here this morning for you. Um, Lord, whatever it is that we bring into this room this morning, whether it be uh, joy or sorrow, whether it be um, a, a time of celebration or a time of, of, of trouble, God, we, we want to meet with you. We want to hear from you. We want to have hope that's rooted in you. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning uh, through your word. Um, God, help us to, to go back to the basics this morning and uh, realize that um, uh, we, we overcomplicate things, and yet uh, you call us to a deep commitment. So this discipleship we're talking about is both difficult and easy. Uh, and so help us to see that and to be committed to you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you know that I like to play the guitar, um, and I am okay at it. I used to be much better because guitar takes a lot of practice. And uh, I started playing guitar at about age 17, and I really enjoyed it, and I learned by ear. I would just listen to something, I was able to figure it out, and I would just do it over and over again until I got it down, right? Um, and then in college, I had to take uh, an elective, and I saw one of the electives that would count for this certain art credit was jazz guitar. And I was like, sweet, that'll be easy. I know how to play guitar. I'll just go in there and get an easy A, right? I go in there, and uh, the guy starts from the very beginning. We're going to learn the major scale. and see. I know how to do this, dude. We're going to learn the basic chord structures and why the chord structure works like this. I know how to play all those chords, dude. Yeah, but do you know why they are that way? No, I just know. I can just do it. And it was so painful for the first two weeks, but he made me go through the basics from the very beginning. Start with the basics. And I was so bored and annoyed. But then by halfway through the semester, I was playing things that I couldn't play before. I was playing things that I never would have been able to play before because I didn't understand the basic theory of guitar. And he made me go back to the beginning and learn the basic theory. And all of a sudden, I went from kind of plateauing, I'm a decent guitar player, to I can play things that I couldn't play before. And then by the end of the semester, I had grown leaps and bounds as a guitar player. And even better than that, I was actually able to teach people how to play guitar now. Before that, I had a friend, my friend Dave, he's like, can you teach me how to play guitar? And I'm like, yeah, just do this. And he's like, how? And I'm like, I don't know, you just do it. And he was like, thanks, uh, I don't want to take lessons with you anymore. <laughs> but after this, I learned the basic theory. I, was, I, I didn't just understand the what, the how to do it. I understood the why. Why does this work? Why does this make sense? And that is true of discipleship as well. Sometimes we need to go back to the very basics, the building blocks, the music theory of discipleship. Because sometimes we overcomplicate things. Or sometimes we get into just kind of autopilot mode and we need to be reminded of what's most basic and what's foundational. And sometimes we need to learn it for the first time. And we need to learn the why. Not just what is discipleship, but why do we follow Jesus? And then, not only are we able to thrive and become disciples in ways that we weren't able to before, but we're able to teach others how to do it. And that is what Discipleship Pathway is all about. How many people have already gone through a Discipleship Pathway kind of as an elective, right? That's awesome. About half. 
So for those of you who've gone through it, stick with me. A lot of it will be review. A lot of it will be new, and it's always good to go back to the basics. For everybody else, um, I'm excited for you to experience this because it's been really, um, it's been truly life-changing for me and for those of us who've gone through it to, to learn these simple steps of following Jesus that God uses to do things that are amazing. And so that's what we're here to do. And so I'm going to get through some intro stuff, and then I'm going to get into uh, the, the what, what is Discipleship Pathway, and why does Discipleship Pathway matter? But I want to get through some basics of the faith. We have to define some terms in order to understand what it is we're doing here. We've talked about being a missional church for a, a while, for years, right? It's a conversation that was happening long before I came here to be uh, the pastor here. But... We could say missional, 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 but if we don't describe what mission is, then we won't understand what it is we're called to do. So what does it mean to be missional? Well, quite frankly, it's, it's, it's making disciples. That's what it means to be missional, making disciples. For those of us who are already disciples, it's maturing in the faith, becoming more committed disciples. And a piece of that is going and making other disciples. That's what discipleship is. That is the calling for Jesus' church. In two of his final conversations with his closest friends, here's what Jesus said he wanted us to do. This is in Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is Jesus' challenge to his church, to his invitation to his church as he's about to go and ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father. He says, go and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I have taught you. Acts 2, this is literally right before he ascends to the Father. He says this, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To be missional is to be a church that makes disciples, that, that lives as a witness to the, the good news of Jesus for all the world to see. As his parting words, these are the invitations that Jesus gives us. He says, come, participate with me in my mission. You see, it's not our mission. It's Jesus' mission, but we get an invitation to participate with him. That's what it means to be a missional church. And I want to just point back to something. If, if you are interested in more on this idea of what it means to be missional, at the end of 2021, we did an entire series where we traced God's mission through the entire Bible. Um, and it's, it's really fascinating to see that what God has been doing all the way since Genesis 12, he's been continuing and completing through Jesus, and we get to join in this with him. But the conclusion of that series was, what is God's mission? What is Jesus' mission? It's to reconcile all that is broken and lost to himself. God's mission is to reconcile all that is broken and lost in this world to himself. We see it most clearly in Jesus' incarnation. In his time here in the flesh, we see it in his healing. We see it in his teaching on repentance, urging us to, back to relationship with God. We see it in his redeeming death on the cross and his resurrection as he breaks down every barrier, even death, that we might be in his presence, that we might have eternal life in his presence. Jesus' mission is to reconcile all that is lost, all that is broken, and 
for those of us who have been found, for those of us who have been healed, for those of us who have been rescued, we get an invitation to take part in his rescue mission. We get to participate in Jesus' mission by helping other people encounter Jesus, by being witnesses with our lives, with our shared life as a church, by inviting others to experience what we've experienced and help them become disciples too. That's what it means to be missional as a church. We get to participate in God's work to reconcile all that is broken and lost in this world to himself. Another definition we need to clarify, what is a disciple? Okay, what is a disciple? This is a churchy word, right? And uh, there's all sorts of people who have just make up their own definitions of this, but here's what I like to do. This was passed down to me from a guy who discipled me. His name is Doug Lay. He is a pastor and missionary and one of those people that when you're around him, you're like, this man follows Jesus. He and his wife Paula are incredible witnesses to the faith. And, and when you're around them, you're like, I just, I want what they have. I want, to, I want to follow Jesus with the passion that they have. And he taught me this definition of a disciple. He said, what does Jesus say a disciple is? There are four times in the gospel that Jesus used this word disciple and describes what disciples do. And so I want to share that with you this morning. This is how we're going to define what a disciple is by using Jesus's words. The first is this. It's this idea that Jesus is Lord and therefore we have a supreme commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ above all of the things. In Matthew, he says, anyone who wants to follow me must take up his or her cross and follow in my footsteps. If we want to be disciples of Jesus, he is the first most important thing in our lives. That's what it means to be a disciple. Every other commitment we have is, is, is not even a close second. And whatever, whatever that means for our lives, both good and bad, because we know Jesus' life led him to the cross, sometimes being a disciple might lead us to temporary suffering. But whatever it leads us, we follow faithfully our supreme commitment is to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first one. The second one is love for one another. I got them out of order. But love for one another as Jesus has loved us. That was Jesus' command. If you want to be my disciples, the world will know you're my disciples when you love one another. A new command I give you, he says. He commands us to love one another. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you're a person of love. You're a person of love. The third one, abide in the way and the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Abide in the way and the truth and the life. He says, Jesus says this, if you want to be my disciples, abide in me, remain in me, stick close to me. Read my words and do what they say. Obey me. Abide in me. Disciples of Jesus abide in him. And the last one, fruitful living. And there's two definitions of this. The scriptures give two kind of ideas of what fruitful living is. The first uh, I'll mention is in, in Galatians 5, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, pace, uh, peace, patience, uh, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're the type of person who, who lives with that kind of life. Those are the things that come out of you, right? But fruit also is about making disciples, it's about spreading the good news of Jesus and inviting other people to lean in and find the healing and hope that we have. Jesus says, if you remain in me, 
I will remain in you and you will bear much fruit. Both the way that you live your life will point to who Jesus is and it will impact the world around you. So that's what a disciple is. Someone who has a supreme commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone who is a person of love. Someone who abides in Jesus, listens to his words and does what they say. And someone who lives a fruitful life. That's what a disciple is. Doug, my friend who discipled me, he, when he discipled me through this kind of idea of discipleship, this definition of discipleship, he wrecked my brain with a question that I'm going to throw to you and let you wrestle with. And, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it later. But, but he said this. He asked, is it possible to be a Christian but not be a disciple? Is it possible to be a Christian and not be a disciple? This question sometimes still haunts me because I don't know exactly what I think. I read some Bible passages and I see the thief on the cross. He does nothing with his life and yet Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise, right? If you know that story, you understand this guy did nothing to earn salvation, right? But then I see other passages like Matthew 25 and Jesus says, hey, when, when it comes time for judgment, it's going to be the ones who took care of the least of these. Those are the ones that are welcomed into my kingdom. You're like, whoa, those seem to be people who took your, your word seriously and lived it out, right? So that question, can I be a Christian and not a disciple? I'm going to let you stew on that, as I have for 12 years. <laughs> okay, I just went through a lot of that introduction Basic terms, definitions, because I think we need to understand what these buzzwords mean before we can move forward. We can't understand what it means to be missional if we don't know what our mission is. Reconciliation. We, we can't make disciples if we don't know how to be disciples ourselves. And we can't make disciples if we don't know how to teach people to obey Jesus like he commands us to uh, if we don't understand what discipleship is. So, now, with all of that, Let's get to the discipleship pathway. What is the discipleship pathway? Discipleship pathway is a series of steps that we take to follow Jesus on mission. Discipleship pathway, a series of steps that we take to follow Jesus on mission. That means we join the rescue mission that Jesus is, is at work doing in this world, and we make disciples. This is the, the best visual I can give you for the discipleship pathway. And uh, it looks so good on that screen, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> this is the five circles of the discipleship pathway. This is adapted from our friends at the Kansas City Underground. They're an amazing group that are doing a lot of the same work that we're doing here, and they've been a great friends to us. And so we're adapting this for our context, but I love this, this picture because it, it gives us steps that we take, and we never actually move totally from one step to the other. We continue step one all the time. And we continue step two all the time. It's, it's a progression. It's not like jump from one thing to the other. The first one is this. Extraordinary prayer and fasting. Extraordinary prayer and fasting. I'm going to get into fasting next week because for some of us it might be a brand new concept. And so I want to make sure we spend enough time that we can understand it and invite you into that practice with some, some, some real preparation. But extraordinary is the key word here. What we're asking everyone who, who calls FCC their home, everyone who, who says, I think I, I, I'm ready to start this walk of discipleship with Jesus, we're asking you not to be the most amazing prayer or faster of all time. We're asking you to an extraordinary prayer and fasting. That means whatever you're doing now in terms of prayer and fasting, take it up one notch. 
Kick it up one notch. Starting this week with prayer. Whatever your normal prayer rhythms are, kick it up one notch. One extra prayer time a week. Uh, a prayer walk every day if that's something that you're interested in. We'll get to that later. But that's circle one. It starts with extraordinary prayer and fasting. Then we move from there to this idea of living as missionaries. And I'm just not going to get too deep into that because we're going to spend a lot of time on this coming up soon. But when you hear that, who goes, I'm not a missionary. Anybody? That freaks me out. Missionaries go across the world and they, they put themselves in crazy situations and that's not my calling. Well, maybe, but God has called you to be a witness wherever you are. And so living as missionaries is not as intimidating as it sounds, and we're going to give you some very basic practices that anyone who is a follower of Jesus can do. Literally anyone who's put their faith in Jesus can do these steps, these living as missionary steps, these practices. From there, plant the gospel. In the past, you may have heard a term called evangelism. Uh, how many people, you don't have to raise your hand if you feel guilty about this. How many people don't like the word evangelism? I don't like the word evangelism. I'm just going to say that right now because it's not in the Bible. <laughs> I like witness. I like planting the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus. Uh, evangelism sounds like a process, like a factory process. <laughs> uh, planting the gospel is relational. And so again, we're going to get into that. We're going to give you some tools to understand how you, who don't think you have the gift of evangelism, can plant the gospel in the relationships that God has called you to. Uh, then the next one says MC emerges. This is missional community, or for some, some groups that are like ours, they call them microchurches, but missional communities emerge. How many people have heard the term missional community around Fremont Community Church sometime in the last two, three years, right? This is a, a word that gets thrown out over and over and over again, and people are going, well, what is a, missionary uh, a missional community, and how do I get a part of it, and what am I supposed to do? Well, honestly, this may sound weird, we're not going to talk a whole lot about it. Because a missional community emerges out of the work that God does, and then we build structure around it. If we try to pre-structure these things with a formula or a program, guess what? We'll get whatever results we, we get based on how good our efforts are. When we do these steps of being on the discipleship pathway, what we do is we open up space to do what, to do, for God to do that which only he can do. Let me say that again. When we do steps one through three, we're just opening up space for God to do that which only he can do. And then when God does that, we go, oh, wow, look at what God did. Okay, let's figure out where we go from here. And that's where the missional community thing comes into play. So we'll, we'll talk about some of that, but it's not going to be the main thrust of the series. And the last one is multiplication. Uh, when these things grow, they tend to multiply, and we've got to be ready to, to equip more and more people to go and do these things. So that is the big picture, discipleship pathway, steps one through five. But now I want to get into the heart of it. Right there, literally, the heart of it on that slide is this statement. Jesus is Lord. All of these things, all of these things hinge upon this belief that the, the early disciples had, this radical belief that they had, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of all creation. Jesus is Lord of all creation. He was and is and is to come. He is Lord. Now, why is, what does that mean and why is it important? I want to share with you a couple passages of Scripture, both from uh, 2 Corinthians. This one's from chapter 4. This is Paul 
talking about this concept of Jesus being Lord. And he says this, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now listen to this verse. It's a little weird and confusing, but I love it so much. But we have, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Hold that in your head. Jars of clay. Clay pots. It's a better way to put it. Clay pots. Skip ahead to verse 14. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this for your benefit, so that the grace of reaching more and more people, put a pin in that, reaching more and more people, may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and mo- mo- ugh, I almost said monetary. Uh, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Put a pin in that one too. We fix our eyes on not what is uh, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary what is unseen is eternal. If Jesus is Lord, what do these passages teach us? The first thing it teaches us is we are to obey, right? If Jesus is who he says he is, he is Lord of all creation, and he gives us a calling. He, he, he offers us this insane grace. He forgives us for all of our sins. He offers us new life and eternal life, and then he says, here's what I want you to do. Here's what it means to obey me. And we're like, now nah, I'm good. Thanks for the grace. <laughs> That's, wh- how? How could we do that? He has given us so much. He, he gave everything for us. And what he calls us to do is obey. Follow in my footsteps. And that's what he talks about here. He says we are servants. As Jesus was a servant, following in his footsteps, we are servants. Not just of him but of the world, of the mission that God has for this world. We are to serve those around us so that it might see God's goodness. It means we obey, but it also means we proclaim it. Remember that phrase, reaching more and more people and cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Reaching more and more people. If you've received the most amazing gift in the world, like we have, Jesus Christ, He doesn't want it to hoard it for ourselves or to keep it private or to stow it away for later. He wants us to share it, to proclaim it. Why? Because it means reconciliation. It means healing. It means life for people. That's what he wants for us. And those of us who've received it, he says, freely you've received, now freely give it away. Share it with others. If Jesus is Lord, we we obey, we proclaim, and lastly, we believe. And this is where I kind of want to set our hearts today. We believe. We believe first that nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Scriptures tell us that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in us. Nothing is impossible. No one is too far for him to reach. I'm living proof of that myself. Many of you could say the same thing. 
I, I was too far gone. I believed that. I, I believed I was too sinful, too selfish. I hurt too many people for God to love me. And he proved me wrong. No one is too far for him to reach. And the last one, he can use me. And this is where that clay pots thing comes back into play. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God likes to use the least expected people to do the most amazing things. Clay pots are fragile. They break easily. On their own, they're just empty vessels. They're not impressive. They are not the decoration that you put out to show everybody. But we have this treasure. God uses us clay pots. He fills us up and he uses us to show his power, not ours. See, God sees things differently than we do. He gives us new eyes to see, not just what we see now, but eternal things. It, and, and sometimes it doesn't look like worldly success Sometimes it doesn't look like the former me measurements we used to have in churches. In churches, we used to measure things on how many people showed up on Sunday, how much money was in the offering plate, how impressive is our building. Those were types of things that people would measure success of a church. And Jesus is like, eh, I don't think that's, that's the thing here. That's, that's something you can see. I want to see something that's unseen. I want to see a movement of God that can't come from human effort, but only from God. And God sees the world differently. So back to that question, that perplexing question. Can I be a Christian but not a disciple? I'm not going to answer that because uh, what I believe about that today might change tomorrow. <laughs> um, I'll let you answer that for yourself. But let me use an analogy. If I'm asking that question, I'm more like a fantasy football player than an actual football player. If you know fantasy football, it's, you, you know, you get together with a group of friends and you read a bunch of stats and you're really nerdy about football and you draft players from all over the NFL to your team that doesn't exist, right? And then you put those players up and there's a formula for how many points you earn and, and you might win that week or you might win the whole thing and win, you know, 100 bucks because everybody put five bucks in or whatever it is, right? It's fantasy football. It's, it's like you sit at home on your computer uh, and, and, and you track your stats. It's very low investment, very low stakes, and, uh, and it's fun, but it doesn't make you a real football player, right? Because you drafted Debo Samuel in your fantasy football draft does not make you a 49er, okay? Go Niners. Um, <laughs> no, if you're a fantasy football player, you're a spectator, Right? You do something related to football, but you don't play football. And if you know football, you know what these athletes put themselves through in order to reach the pinnacle of success. Even up to the point, as we've seen recently, of a player literally dying on the field and being resuscitated, right? Behind your computer, you didn't put in the hours in the gym, and you didn't put in the dedication and the training and the studying. You didn't rehab a million injuries to get back on that field so you can get a chance at that. You know, the, the early church, they were called Christians first in the book of Acts. And you know why they were called Christians? Not because they went around saying, we love Jesus, we're better than you. 
because they acted like Jesus. And the people around were like, look at these guys. They're acting like that Jesus character, and he got killed. Like, what a bunch of idiots. They really just, they, it was a term of ridicule. Being a Christian was a term of ridicule. And there were, were Christians in this weird context. This happens in, the, in Antioch. And Antioch was this crazy place where they literally had people from all over the world. But they had a wall system set up basically to divide ethnic and religious groups based on a system of hierarchy of who's better than the others. Right? It was a place of, like, diversity in the way that Chicago, where we've spent some time of our lives, is diverse. As in, there's people from every different nationality and people group, but they live in different neighborhoods, segregated from one another. That's what Antioch was like. And then all of a sudden come in these Christians with a message of hope and reconciliation. And it's not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. And anybody who wants to come and join and be a part of this is welcome. And in Antioch, they were like, whoa, no, you're messing up our way of life. We don't like it. And the term Christian was a term of ridicule. But for the Christian at the time, it was a badge of honor because they said, these people are like little Jesuses. They're walking around doing the Jesus, the things that Jesus did and saying the things that Jesus did and loving people the way that Jesus did. And they didn't like it. But what higher compliment could a Christian have other than to say, these people are like Jesus? So that muddies the water on this, this term of being a Christian or a disciple. But, you know, so maybe I can be a Christian. I can be saved and have my sins forgiven and sit, uh, wait safely on the sidelines until Jesus calls me home. Maybe I can do that. But, but the why behind all of this is, to be honest, church, I don't want to do that. I want to participate in God's mission. I want to see miracles. I want to see people healed. I want to see people come to know Jesus and live the rest of their lives in the peace and joy that comes with him. I don't want to be the fantasy football guy who gets an email saying my fake team won this week. I want that Super Bowl ring because I was down on that field risking everything to get the prize. And let me say this. This is why I came here. This is why my family moved here in 2021. This is how God has been moving in our family, in our lives these last few years, is calling us to a different way of being the church. And, and we found FCC, which was saying, God is calling us to this different way of being a church. And so let me say this from a pastoral heart, why this is so important to me. It's not because God needs you to do a bunch of tasks for him. It's not because there's a bunch of shoulds in the Bible. You should do this, or you should do that, or you should do that. The reason why I get so passionate about this, the reason why I get choked up when I talk about, eh, talk about this stuff is because it's the best thing for you. It's the best thing for me. If you've, if you've ever gone on a mission trip or you've known somebody who's gone on a mission trip, they come back and they're like, I experienced Jesus like never before. And there's no secret why. You spent every day in community with other Christians sharing life together, not as a rugged individual, but as a part of something bigger than yourself. You spent every day going to the places where Jesus would go. He didn't lock himself in a temple. He went to the hurting and the broken, the ones who needed his healing. So when we go where Jesus would be, we meet him there. We experience him in ways we've never experienced him before. When we follow in his footsteps, we find him in ways we didn't know possible. So this isn't me saying, hey, we need to raise up an army of soldiers to go do God's work. It's, it's me saying, do you want to live the abundant life that the scriptures talk about? 
Do you want to experience Jesus in ways that maybe you haven't before? That's what Discipleship Pathway is all about. It comes down to this. Do you trust this true statement that I trust, that I struggle to trust, that Jesus is Lord? Do we really believe what we say we believe? If we really believe that Jesus raised from the dead and is alive, and he will raise us from the dead, and we will have eternal life, then what do we have to be afraid of? Nothing can stop us. Do we really believe that God can use anybody, that he can use me and you? And even if you're thinking in this room right now, well, not me. Yes, you. The whole, the whole story of the Gospels and Acts is that he spread his message through Samaritans, who were the lowest of the low in the eyes of the people of, of, of Israel. He used fishermen, day laborers, average Joes. Those are the people he called to be his disciples, right? He used tax collectors. Think of the worst category of sinner that can come into your mind right now in our culture. That's who the tax collector were. He used those people. In a culture that said women have no value, they were the first ones to preach the gospel. They were the ones who got the good news of the resurrection first, and they spread it. Do we really believe that he can use anybody if we do, then I would encourage you to join me. This is just the intro. We're going to get into a lot of the nuts and bolts of Discipleship Pathway. But I really want you to, to ask yourself that question. Do I really believe that what the Bible says is true about Jesus? Because if it is, I want to invite you this week to take this first step. Extraordinary prayer and fasting. Because we are clay pots, we're empty and fragile, but what God is going to do is from him and not from us. Do we believe he can do it? I say all this because, and I don't want to knock the way church has been done in other places or even the ways that I participated in church in the past because I've seen God do amazing things. But so much of my church life has been you know, business practices to get a certain outcome. It was controllable. It was easy. It didn't cost us much because we didn't have to go out amongst people we were afraid of, right? We just got the few willing who would come. And we were really good at it. You know, the churches I've been a part of have been really good at that. But I'm just, I want to see something that I can't accomplish on my own. I want to see a movement of God that is so obvious that it's a movement of God that we can do nothing but bow down and say, thank you, Lord. I believe that when we do this, we will experience life, the abundant life that God has called us to. And so if you want to take that journey with us, I would encourage you to interact with this for the next eight weeks. We're going to keep going through the discipleship path for eight more weeks. If you can't be here in person, that's okay. Watch it online or watch the video later. Interact with it. On Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night for the next eight weeks, we're going to be doing a discovery Bible study on Zoom, and I'll be hosting that because that'll be kind of a catalyst for that. 
But we'll also let you know the passage. If you can't be there with us on Wednesday night, we'll let you know the passage that you can study on your own and come prepared with how God is speaking to you. But as we close, I want to invite us this week to this idea of extraordinary prayer and fasting. Whatever your normal prayer life is, crank it up this week. Spend some extra time in prayer. And I would even say, spend some extra time in prayer with other people. Make it about what God is speaking to you. Not just asking him for things, prayer requests, but saying, God, what do you want to show me? As I go through this discipleship pathway, what do you want to show me? What are you calling me to? If you're a person who's familiar with fasting, you can go ahead and jump in with us. We're going to be fasting on Tuesdays, every Tuesday for the next eight weeks. And what that looks like could vary for, for you. You may be say, I'm going, to, I'm going to miss one meal and spend that time in prayer. You may want to fast for 24 hours. Some people like to do that every Tuesday. You may, fasting may not be a medically appropriate thing for you to do, and I'd leave that between you and your doctor. But maybe you say, hey, I'm going to fast from my smartphone for four hours today and, and, and spend some extra time in prayer. If you're not familiar with fasting, that's okay. I'm going to dig deep into it next week. We're going to get into it and, uh, and invite you to, 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 to jump into that with some information. But that's where we're going. Extraordinary prayer and fasting. And the last thing I want to say is this. God has called you to the people around you. And maybe he hasn't made that obvious yet, but he has. He has called you to be his witness wherever you are, whether it be your school or your workplace or your neighborhood or your, your friend group, or your extracurricular activity that you're involved in, or whatever it is, he has called you to be his witness. This week, I want to introduce this concept of prayer walking. Prayer walking is just going to the place where God has called you, and just praying. Praying for the people that you encounter there. If it's in your neighborhood, it's walking by people's houses and praying for them by name. If it's at your workplace, it's getting there a few minutes early to pray over the office space, or whatever that looks like. But begin prayer walking this week. Just If you can skip to the next slide, that'll be good. Um, there we go. That's the homework for this week. Begin prayer walking. Start praying over the people that you are sensing God is calling you to be a witness to. And then we're going to send you a video about this disciple-making movements concept because the cool thing about what's happening at FCC is something that's actually happening globally. God is doing something new in his church all over the world, and it's really exciting. And it's less about programs, and it's more about the faith to believe that when we step out in faith, God will do the miraculous things that he does that we read about in Scripture. So begin prayer walking this week and ask God, God, I want to see things like we read about in the Gospels. I want to see people get healed. I want to see things like we read about in the book of Acts where he gives people dreams and visions. I want to see miracles. I want to see life change. Let's do that together. Tuesday, let's spend some extra time so that wherever we are, this whole church is praying on Tuesday for a movement of God in our city, in our neighborhoods, and our places of work and school. I'm going to close with this question that I've asked over and over and over again. And it's not a challenge. It's an invitation. Do we really believe what we say we believe? 
Because if we do, nothing is impossible. I believe that. I've experienced it. And my heart for this church is that we all get to experience that together. And if you have not put your faith in Jesus and everything I said today was gibberish, I apologize. We love you. I would love to talk to you about what new life in Jesus is because it changed my life. You know, I don't want to say how long ago because I don't know how old I am. Uh, No, (laughs) it changed my life decades ago, and I can't wait to see what he's going to continue to do. Let me close in prayer. Then we're going to spend some time worshiping. And as we worship, sing the songs, sing out in faith, but also continue to ask God, what are you trying to say to me, to us? What do you want me to hear from you? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this, this time we have together. And, uh, and Lord, this morning, I do just feel such a sense of, of excitement. Lord, I, you say that with faith the side of a mustard seed, mountains can be moved. God, give us faith the size of a mustard seed. God, as we, we go through this discipleship pathway together, not as individuals, but as a people, as a family, God, show us. Show us the things that we read about in Scripture. Show us the things that the world says are impossible. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, God, fill us with your spirit. Give us faith. Give us faith to take this first step together, that we would just pray bold, audacious prayers, not worried about whether or not you're going to answer them exactly how (laughs) we think you should, but instead knowing that you're going to answer them in the way that you want to, which is so much better. Your ways are better than our ways. And Lord, for anybody who's hesitant to to think of, of this idea that we're called to be missionaries, to be witnesses, I'd show them that nothing is impossible for you. There's not a single limitation that anyone has in this room that can stop you. There's not a single... uh, person who's so far gone that they can't be reached. There's not a person in here who's, who's limited in any way that they can't be used by you in, in amazing ways. So God, that is our prayer today. Give us faith to believe what we say we believe so strongly that we will take a step of faith this week. And we love you and we pray all of this in Jesus, our Lord, Jesus' name.